Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Uh, thank you very much, Pastor, for the welcome and all of you here. It's a beautiful morning to be, to be at The Vine. Um, I want to pray, and then we can get started. God, I come before you. I want to thank you, for you are the true vine. We come before you. We ask you, Lord, to give us strength to help me this morning share your word, encourage your people. May you use the words I'll speak today to build your church, to bring glory to yourself. Holy Spirit, I ask you to help me speak, and you speak through me to encourage and build up someone today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, we are celebrating 20 years of African New Life Ministries. African New Life Ministries started about 20 years ago when God put a burden on my heart and my wife to respond on what, is hap- what was happening in Rwanda. Some of you remember the genocide of 1994 of the two people that claimed nearly a million people then. And the Lord started putting a burden on us to go back and preach the gospel, but at the same time meet the physical needs. I call it serving God with the two hands, or the two hands of the gospel, which is proclamation and also acting compassionately to those, those who are hurting. And those days we had so many orphans and widowed women and scattered people who were struggling in different ways. And I remember between me and my wife, we sponsored nine children. And out of sponsoring nine children, we started the ministry organization with 30 children. Today, it's 11,000 children in eight different campuses of African New Life Ministries. It's a hospital, it's a school of theology, it's churches. African New Life Ministry focuses on transforming communities and lives by proclaiming Christ and acts of compassion. And we do that through faith, we do that through medical care, and we also do that through uh, education, taking care of children who need education, and women empowerment. God has done great things in the last 20 years, and we praise him for what he has done. And in many ways, when you look at African New Life, it's actually looking at how God has used different individuals in different communities to be able to make this ministry a reality. You guys are part of what God is doing in Rwanda. You sponsor children in Rwanda. In fact, you are helping us plant a church in Gashora. And Gashora is a new community. It's in the eastern part of Rwanda, but really towards the south, but in the east. And um, that's where we are planting a new church. We are sponsoring children there, and we are starting a new community. In eight years, we started eight communities. And I tend to say communities instead of churches because they are more than a church. There is a church, there is a child development center. In the child development center, they take care of educational needs of the children, emotional Uh, spiritual needs, and also uh, we have a nurse 
who takes care of their medical needs. And it's a community. Sometimes it's a community of 1,000 children, uh, 700 children, depending on the community. Eight communities in 20 years. But this year, we are launching four new communities, uh, which is real dramatic growth. And we thank God for the new growth he's bringing our way. Maybe God has considered us faithful in the last 20 years and is giving us an opportunity to grow in a bigger way. So thank you for being part of this vision and this ministry. I want to invite you to come to Rwanda and see it for yourself and see what you guys are involved in. I came with Morgan. She's right here. She lives here in Austin and she can bring you. Um, we came with more children to be sponsored. They are out here and it takes him $39 a month to sponsor a child. And that really brings amazing transformation in the life of the child and the community. Uh, today, I want to preach on what I have called what matters most in the church. What matters most in the church. Now, if I was going to do a survey in this community to ask what matters most in the church, we may end up getting about, what, 50 different answers. For someone who has little kids, like a younger family, what matters most in the church? You can say, I want a church that has a children's ministry. That matters. If you are single, say, you know, I want a church that has fellowship so I can build relationships in the church and have friends. Um, if you are like me and you are raised up Roman Catholic, Wow, I like beautiful churches. I like beautiful churches. I love cathedrals. I just love all that glass in the church. To me, being raised Roman Catholic, my priest was Father Joseph, an Italian priest. He built a beautiful church for us. And that meant so much to me growing up. Till one day at age 17, Jesus changed my life after visiting a village church where they used to sit on the floor, where they had no liturgy, where the church was just a piece of dirt. But in that place, I found a love. They loved me so much as a younger person that the following Sunday, I went back to their church. The third Sunday, I went back to their church. I didn't know what was driving me, but finally I found out I was driven by the love of a few old women in the church. Some of them didn't even know how to read and write. In fact, I ended up reading the Bible for them, and they prayed for me, and all they knew was much more from what I read for them. But they were lovely brothers, sisters in Christ and many in Christ. So what matters most in the church? I want to openly declare that it's love. Love is what matters most in the church. Love is what matters most in a relationship. Love is what matters most in a marriage relationship. Love is what matters most between a father and a son, between a daughter and a mother. Love is what matters most. But also love is what proves that we are actually disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, that's how the world gets to know that we are true, that we are for real. 
You know, sometimes you look at some churches and say, okay, they are okay, but I don't know if they are for real. Because to be for real, we have to see that people within the community love each other and outside there, they love people. And I'll break that one down. In the book of John, chapter 13, verse 34 to 35, the Bible says, a new command I give you is out there. And listen, it says, a new command I give you. And I want you to underline that. It's, it's a command. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not something you choose to do. It's not an option. There's no option. You know, Americans love options. Okay? There, there are no options. This is not a, an option. Okay? Jesus says, a new command I give you. Okay? You're, gonna, you're going to have to obey. And it says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And Jesus showed us the extent of his love by serving us, but above all, by dying on the cross for our sins. And the Bible says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Underline that. By this, everyone will know. Everyone, every race, Every culture, every nation, every religion will know that you are my disciples. Right now, our ministry is taking care of 15 Afghanistan refugees. And they are Muslims. They are very different from us. Uh, I can imagine how much they are confused. Because they are being taken care of by Christians. And they don't get to understand how are the Christians taking care of us, Muslims, because their first instinct is hostility between Christians and Muslims. But the Bible says, by loving one another, they will know that you are my disciples. You know, the church in Rwanda, because of the genocide of 1994 of the two people, some of it unfortunately done by the church, especially the state church. And I think that's the danger of having a state church. And those days we had the Catholic church as the state church. And as a result of that, the church fell out of favor. Like people could not see how that could happen in the context sometimes of the church. And people would say, where was God when my parents were being killed? Where was God when my mom wasn't, was being killed? And I felt as we are starting African New Life Ministries, there's no way you can just go out there and tell people God loves them without actually showing them how he loves them in a practical ways. A friend of mine said, Love is the best apologetics. Like the best apologetics you can ever do is love. Some of us, when we go to seminary, we study apologetics. Some people get a full degree in apologetics. But let me tell you, love is the best apologetics. Those old women in my village church who didn't know how to read and write, they loved me and they won me to Christ at age 17 without even dealing with all the intellectual issues I was struggling with. Why does love matter most? Why is love number one? Let me tell you why. In loving, we are more like God. In loving, 
we are more like God. Say, so, but pastor, where do you get that? I get that from the first piece of John, chapter 4, verse 15. The Bible says in the first letter of John, chapter 4, verse 16, and it says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. We've known it, we've believed it. But listen to this. God is love. In loving, we are more like God. Have you ever seen someone say, you are like your mom. You are so kind, like your grandfather. Okay? And they are saying, you are more like him because you carry on traits, see, that are similar to what your grandfather was. God is love. We are more like him in love. And he abides, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. So you see the chemistry here. See, if you abide in love, I, I know, uh, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in, in God, and God is in him. Actually, you have seen God. When you get that capacity to love, you have seen God. This is the intersection of man and God. God, through his son, loved us on the cross, showed us the extent of his love. We also respond by loving him and loving others. It is in loving that we are most like him. So love is the foundation of every command he has given us. The whole law was summed up in this one command. Love others as you love yourself. Can you imagine the entire Torah, the entire law is summed up in this command. Love others as you love yourself. I want to say that love takes on even a greater significance to those who follow and love Jesus. And I'll tell you why. Because the level of love within a church community tells me of the spiritual health of the fellowship. In other words, love is the thermometer, is what measures the healthy of the fellowship. Love is what measures. Now, I, I, I want to say uh, that I love Paul. If there's any scholar I do love, I love Paul. I mean, I've studied many scholars, Grudem, Bakoff, Calvin, Martin Luther, uh, oh, Zwingli, all these great scholars, they are wonderful. But let me tell you, I don't think none of them measures up to Paul. Paul was a great scholar. They actually all talk about what he wrote. Martin Luther's thesis is much of what actually Paul wrote. But let us look at Paul, who was very smart. This is what Paul, very gifted guy, said. He said that it doesn't matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do. Without love, I am bankrupt. That's 1 Corinthians, I think, chapter 13. He says, come on, I'm bankrupt. It doesn't matter. You know, you can speak all the tongues, and you can do all the prophecies, and you can be as, can be as charismatic as whatever. And he says, come on, whatever you do, if you don't have love, you are bankrupt. In other words, Jesus said, our love for each other 
is the greatest witness to the world that we belong to him, that we belong to him. And as a result, the rest of the world can see that these are truly disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's where we have the challenge. Jesus loved the world so much. Does the church love the world so much? Just like Jesus loved the world. Let me tell you, I have a statement of faith. I love it. I studied theology. I love it. Hey, but let me tell you, at the end of the day, my best way of doing apologetics is not only my statement of faith or my theology, it's actually loving people who are hurting and in many ways people who can never give back to me. Okay, people who are in a vulnerable situation, people who are not just my friends, people who are different. You know, I have my own political opinions and I don't talk about them in church. But at the end of the day, I want to let you know, Jesus Christ did not come up with a political ideology. Jesus Christ did not bring politics. Politics divides us. Jesus did not start a political party. Jesus started the church where people from all political angles can come and experience his love. That's why if we can miss love anywhere, we shouldn't miss it in the church. We shouldn't miss it in the church. Now, we have different worship styles. You guys worship differently from the way we do. If you ever came, come to our church, man, you're going you're gonna to think we are crazy. We, we dance everywhere. We, we, we have loud, a loud sound system. The services, our services are shorter, but... They go on for a long time. And, you know, she was telling me I'm going to preach for 25 minutes. I said, only 25? Man, I travel all these miles to preach 25. I'm joking. But the thing is, the thing is, is that we worship differently. But I tell my church members, I tell my friends, it doesn't matter how you worship, whether you are loud or softy or sit down or stand. At the end of the day, it's what is love is what matters. It's just noise if there's no love in the middle of it. So, what is love according to the Bible? You know, when I was young, as a teenager, we had a definition of love, our own. And we used to say, love is the feel you feel before you feel a feel that fills you. So love was just about a feeling after another feeling and another wave of a feeling that fills you before you feel another feel that fills you. You never get full, okay? But friends, that's not what the Bible tells us love is. The Bible says love is patient. People who love are patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love is not boastful. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That's love. Love is practical and 
visible. In other words, love does not insist on its way. Love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but love rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And listen to this, love never ends. In other words, love is eternal. And if there's something of value you will ever carry with you from earth to our next destination is love. Because love never ends. I think heaven is going to be a lovely place full of lovely people with a God who loves us. In other words, I want to say as a church, we need to constantly be reminded to make love a top priority in our fellowship. A church without love is just making noise, Paul says. Number two also is that the whole idea that we must love our neighbor as we love ourselves. In fact, the first one is all about loving God, which is worship. The second one is loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And I want to say, after learning to love God, which is worship, we worship him, uh, learning to love others must be the second purpose of our lives. Worship is number one, we love God. But then the second purpose of our life is actually to love others. And you realize if you made love a purpose of your life, it will change everything you do. If you're a teacher, you'll be a better teacher. If you're a businessman, you're going to be a better businessman. I'm, not, I'm in to pay bills, but really my purpose as a businessman is, my purpose is to love people through what I do. Love is the best evaluation of our spiritual maturity. In other words, you talk about spiritual maturity, I know we love to study. I visited some of your homes, especially here in America. Just a church member has a library with all these classics and commentaries and dictionaries on scripture and say, wow, Americans love to study. We love to study. But let me tell you, studying without love, Paul says, is empty. Anything you do without love is empty. How do we measure spiritual maturity? We measure your spiritual maturity not by how much you know, but how by how much you live out what you know. That's why the Bible says those who know much, they're going to be accountable for more. Those who know little, they're going to be accountable not for much. And I remember these old women, they knew very little. They were accountable for little. And all they knew was to love me. They brought me into the kingdom of God, changed my life, prayed for me, and I'm now here in ministry. I want to say they were mature. One of the ways God measures spiritual maturity is by the quality of our relationships. Our spiritual maturity is measured by the quality of our relationships. Not by the PhDs we have, not by the amount of money we have. In fact, I want to remind you, when we get to heaven... God is not going to ask you about your career, about your bank account, about your hobbies. Instead, God is going to review how we treated other people. How did we treat them? Therefore, I want to say that the best way to express our faith is through love. Quickly, let me talk about three or four ways in which we can practically be a loving church, a loving community. Community. Number one, 
we maintain a harmonious atmosphere. Man, I, I fight for that every day. You know, we, I work in a cross-culture setting. I work with Americans. And I also work with Rwandans. And my main job between America and Rwanda is to keep harmonious relationships. That's my job number one, that we are loving each other and together we have this one mission. Transform lives and communities in the name of Jesus Christ by acting compassionately in the community we serve. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 16 to 18, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repent no evil for evil, but give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all. And it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with who? With all. With all. All. Everybody, live peacefully. In other words, be a peacemaker. When you get into a place, let the place experience the peace of God beyond human, human, uh, 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 human comprehension. Let it be. Be a peacemaker. Number two, how do we practically do it? Let us see, commit ourselves to being a people, a people lover and a people encourager. We love people and we encourage people. You know, we've had nearly one year and a half of hardship. It's been hard on all of us. And when you come back to my home country, it's still hard. Masixi, even in the church, Masixi on the street, Masixi in the car. I mean, it's been hard. And we are still navigating the season. And so many people have struggled. I think if there's any time in life to love and to encourage people, this is the time to love and to encourage people. Life can be tough. And there are so many discouraging moments in our life. That's why you want to say we don't need discouraging people. Because life itself is discouraging Enough. We need a band of encouragers. And the church should be that place. Instead of criticizing people we don't agree with, whose lifestyle we don't like, we should pray for them and encourage them and wait to see God change their lives. Number three, let us value every person and not judge. Value and not judge. And, and that's, that's a complicated one, the whole idea of being judgmental and valuing other people. Because sometimes you make small statements, the small statements that which real or that dehumanize people. And after we've dehumanized the people, we can do whatever we want to do to them because they don't have value in our eyes. Every time you judge another person, you dehumanize them. Every time you don't value them, you dehumanize them. And whoever you dehumanize, you can kill. You can destroy. That's what happened in the nation of Rwanda. They used to call two people cockroaches. They are animals that have a tail. And it became a doctrine. And people believed it. So in that environment, killing a two person is easy. That's how actually uh, 
people start killing each other and you wonder how can a genocide happen among human beings is that they have devalued the image of God in that person. They have devalued the imago day of God in that person. God created each of us with something special and that is his image. It doesn't matter what your color is, what your race is, which continent you live on. At the end of the day, we are all created in the image of God. We are descendants of Adam, created in the image of God. Listen to what Jesus taught in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 1 to 6. Jesus said, do not judge or you will be too judged. For in the same way judge others, you'll be judged. And with the same measure used, it will be measured unto you. He says, don't judge. Because what you do is going to come back to you. When you love, actually you're going to receive love. When you encourage others, you're going to receive encouragement too. What you do is going to come back to you. When you give, you're going to be given. When you do good stuff, good stuff is going to come back to you. I want to finish with this one. Number four, let us love outside our comfort zone. Now, that one is very practical. Loving outside our comfort zone. In America, I would say, love outside your zip code. Because those zip codes mean a lot to so many people. Those are people who share the same culture, same experiences, possibly you went to the same school, you have the same income, that's how you end up living on the same zip code. You feel secure in your zip code. You don't want to live on that zip code because you feel insecure in that zip code. But let me tell you what God calls us to do is to step out of our comfort zone and be the feet and the hands of Jesus in areas that are uncomfortable. I remember when I first returned to Rwanda, I, I, the country was so broken. It was so dark. Dead bodies were still smelling everywhere. I mean, Red Cross was in charge, and the United Nations military army was in charge. It wasn't a safe place. We remember coming to America to go to school. Our greatest temptation was actually to stay and not go back because we are not going back to something we felt was safe. But then in underneath there, I would feel like if we stayed, we're going to be comfortable here. If we stayed, we're going to buy a house and, and I love cars. going to buy a BMW and have our American dream right here. But I felt like no way I think we need to stretch out of our comfort, and we did. And God rescued us, and God has rewarded us to 11,000 children, a hospital, a school of theology, churches planted. This younger man becoming a doctor is not worthy the whole idea of the material things we can want here on earth. Now the interesting thing is that when we love him and obey him, he turns around and blesses us. I want to encourage all of us today. Step out into a place you feel is uncomfortable for you. 
Go love those people who may not actually return something to you. And when you do that, you prove that you are truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. Listen to what the Bible says in Luke chapter 6, verse 31 to 36. It says, do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit, what is, uh, if you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. Love your enemies, the Bible says. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be what? Great. That's how you get it rewarded, how to get you rewarded, and you'll be the children of the most high. You even get a title for doing that. You may never get a Nobel Peace, Peace Prize, uh, Prize, Prize. You may never get it, but let me tell you, you get something from God. God says you are, his, you are the children of the most high. You belong to him. That's the prize you get. Because he's kind, to the ungrateful and wicked. Is he not? God is kind to those who are ungrateful and wicked. And we're here. God is kind to us. And 36 says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Be like your father. If you truly believe that you are a child of God, be like your father. Your father is merciful. Therefore, let's be merciful. Let's be, let's cross from our comfort zone to areas that are uncomfortable for us to be merciful, to show the love of God. And as we do that, I really think we'll make this place a better place. And this world needs love. And God has given us the church. Not a political party, the church. Not a government, the church. Not even a policeman, the church. They do a good job, but let me tell you, if the church did its job well, man, this would be a better place. God, help us, let us pray, to do our job well. God, help us to be the church you've called us to be. God, help us to respond to the command you've given us that we love one another as you've loved us. God, help us demonstrate that we are true disciples. Once again, I want to thank you for the vine. And I want to thank you of how they've demonstrated love to the children of Gashora. And for some of them, people they've never seen, people they may never see, only in heaven. God, I ask you to bless them. Thank you for making them belong and to be a global church and a global community right here in Austin. God, we give you praise and we love you. And we thank you for the good gifts you give unto us. 
In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about the Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to the Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.